Two weeks ago, we talked about praying for people in our family, maybe a son or a daughter, a husband or wife, a parent, somebody close to us that's grown up in the faith but is now rejecting that faith and that upbringing. And many of you commented on how powerful and meaningful that message was for you personally and maybe someone in your life. But today we're going to be dealing with a similar subject, just a little different slant. Uh, we're going to be still talking about praying for people who are far from God. Uh, these, but these may be neighbors, they may be co-workers, they may be people we just uh, have become acquainted with who reject the Christian faith, who want no part of attending church, who frankly see no reason for God in their life. Uh, but they too are people for whom Christ died and who Christ loves passionately, people that we can be praying for. So we'll get to all that in a few moments and also sharing Holy Communion today as well. But let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we have gathered here today in your spirit and with our hearts hungry to learn more, our minds waiting to be filled. In the midst of our wanderings, we long for some holy refreshments. So through your loving and healing spirit, we come to this time of worship to experience you in a fresh and abundant way. Prepare us to receive what you have to give to us, and may the power and promise of our Lord Jesus Christ been increasingly convinced that we cannot expect that people who are far from God are going to come to know Jesus Christ without our praying that God will change their life. In fact, I teach pastors and church leaders that one of the most important things that a congregation can do is to attract new people, especially unchurched people, is to begin praying for the people that you know personally, by name. As Christ followers, we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ in a decaying culture and to realize that without prayer, it just might not change. And I doubt that we often think about the connection between those two realities. The lostness, as the Bible calls it, of people who don't have God in their life and the importance of prayer in reaching them. Perhaps we've often separated two things that in God's heart go together. I am struck by the fact that the New Testament doesn't say a great deal directly on the subject of praying for those who are far from God. And while it's true in the literal sense, it's also true that reaching those who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ is always on God's heart. It's the reason God sent his son to the earth. In today's message, I want us to look at some passages from the Bible that I think will help us to grasp this important subject and connecting prayer and sharing our faith. Why should we pray for people who are far from God? Let me suggest four reasons. First, we should pray for people who are far from God because they are on God's heart. One of the greatest verses in the Bible assures us that God cares for every person, even those who don't know him or follow him. John 3:16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Even people who don't know the Bible very well know that verse, but the next verse is also important. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Taken together, those two verses tell us that God, God's love motivated him to send his son into the world and that his purpose was not to condemn the world, but to save it through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 tells us even more about God's heart. This is good and ple pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9 plainly declares that God is patient, 
The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for, our, for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, as I read those verses, there seems to be no limits put on those words. When Paul says everyone, he means no exceptions. When Peter says anyone, he doesn't mean some but not others. God takes no pleasure in seeing anyone perish without experiencing the love and the grace of our Savior. He truly wants all people who are far from God to know him, and he waits patiently for us to come to a point of repentance. There's no mystery here that we, there, there is a mystery here that we can't fully understand or explain, so it's better to let the Bible speak for itself, even if we have trouble fitting it into some of our categories. And, uh, and there's an old gospel song that says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. God's love is broad, it's far-reaching. We have no need to doubt God. He loves the world that he created. He loves those who are lost and wants them to come into a relationship with him through his son. Secondly, we should pray for people who are far from God because of Christ's sacrifice. In Luke 19.10, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus' uh, mission on this earth was to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus died to provide a way of salvation for the entire human race. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Third, we should pray for people who are far from God because of Paul's example. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, the apostle Paul reveals his heart for his Jewish friends and his neighbors his relatives, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. And if Paul prayed uh, so uh, passionately for his own people to know Jesus, shouldn't we be doing the same? Fourth, we should pray for people who are far from God because of their condition. The New Testament, in many places, reveals how hopeless and helpless people are without Christ. In fact, the Bible lists eight descriptive characteristics of people who are far from God. First of all, it says they are blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Secondly, they are captive to Satan. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that we should pray for that unbelievers might come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Third, they are condemned. John 3, 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Four, they are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Five, they are without eternal life. John 3, 36, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's judgment. Number six, they are helpless. John 6, 44, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. Number seven, they are hopeless. Ephesians 2.12, in those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship 
among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And the last one, they are without understanding. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, we read, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now, we could turn uh, any one of these verses into a whole message, but taken together, they show how desperate the future is for those who live their life far from God. They're blind, and yet they think they can see. They are spiritually dead, and yet they think they are alive. They are captive, and yet they think they are free. They are helpless, and yet they think they can do anything. They are without understanding, and yet they think they know everything. They think they're going to heaven, but they are lost and without hope. Now think about this question. What do you say to a spiritually lost person if they can't hear, can't see and can't understand spiritual things. What do you say to a spiritually lost person if they can't talk, can't think, can't feel because the love of Jesus is not the driving force in their life? The Bible and the things of God make no sense to a spiritually dead person. You can talk with them, but they literally have no idea what you're talking about. And because they're blind, they cannot see the truth. That's why we can talk to a person who's far from God until we're blue in the face, and it will do no good. We can quote scripture till the cows come home and they still will be lost. Their condition is so hopeless that without God intervening and the Holy Spirit softening their heart, your sharing your faith will have little effect. So what is the answer? Well, we can pray. We can pray for people who are far from God that their eyes will be opened, enabling them to recognize the truth and creating within them a desire to understand, giving them a hunger for Jesus, granting them faith to believe. In short, before we do the work of sharing our faith, we must passionately be praying that God will go before us and all of our, otherwise all of our efforts will be in vain. So with that as a background this morning, we come to the central question. If people who are far from God truly do need our prayers, and they do, how should we be praying for them? I want to give you some very practical uh, guidelines, and it first comes in four parts. First, we should be praying that people who are Christ followers will have the opportunity to speak to them. This is our most basic prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. We can pray that God will move in the heart of many of God's people so that they might have a great compassion for those who are living far from God. And we can pray that God will raise up more people to share Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ will impact those who do hear and their lives will be changed. Secondly, we should be praying for boldness. The Apostle Paul says this very clearly in Ephesians 6, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentile alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. You know, we've all been in situations where we've chickened out from sharing our faith, haven't we? And sometimes later regretted it. 
Maybe we were intimidated, maybe worried about what others would think, or perhaps we feared making somebody upset. Maybe we were suddenly just kind of shy or a little tongue-tied, didn't know what to say. It happens to all of us, which is why we need to pray for ourselves and for others to be bold in proclaiming the good news. The word boldness implies a freedom to speak God's truth, that we won't be timid, that the words will flow freely. Third, we should also pray for opportunities. Sometimes we need to pray that God will just create the right opportunity where no opportunity seems to exist. Students in public school or university, workers in a plant or an office building, we just need to be praying for God to open that door of opportunity for us to speak about our faith kindly, respectfully, and with boldness. Colossians 4, 3, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This also applies to how we share our faith on the job, with our family, with our friends. When no opportunity seems to exist for us to share our faith, we must pray that God gives us that opportunity. And then fourth, we can also pray for clarity. Paul mentions this in Colossians 4.4, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Clarity means just presenting our faith in a manner that makes sense to the people who hear it. We're saying, Lord, help me to speak your truth so that even the person who's far from God will know what I'm talking about. Here's a simple formula to help us remember how to pray for those who are far from God, and it's in five parts. First, we should pray for receptive hearts. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us that the heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. The writer reminds us that the heart of the most obstinate person among us is still in God's hands. We are right in asking God to work in the heart of an unbeliever to turn it from a love of self and sin to a love of God. And that's where salvation begins. The Apostle Paul emphasizes the importance of the heart in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He said, if you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. The heart of a person who's far from God is often hardened against God. And until God begins to change that situation by softening a person's heart, Talking about your faith will have little effect. Secondly, we should be praying that their spiritual eyes would be opened. When Paul stood before King Agrippa, he recounted how the Lord Jesus had called him to minister to the Gentiles. And he said, Jesus said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. In that verse, there are three contrasts, from closed to open, from darkness to light, from Satan to God. You'll not find a better description of true salvation in all of the New Testament. And once that has happened, we can be forgiven. We can find a place in God's family, but we need to pray that the eyes of the person's heart that we're seeking God for might be opened and to see their true condition and to see God's provision of salvation. Third, we should pray that the person who's far from God might have God's attitude towards sin. The Bible tells us that sin has separated us. The whole human race, it has separated us from a holy God. It also tells us that each of us individually is guilty before God because of our sin and therefore under God's righteous judgment. 
And until we see our true condition, we will have no reason to come to Christ and be saved. John 16, 8 says, uh, it tells us that this conviction is the unique work of the Holy Spirit. It says when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will break through to a person's heart and cause them to cry out to God. Four, we should be praying that the person who's far from God might be released to trust in Christ. We've already seen that the whole human race is in bondage to sin. We're caught in Satan's trap. And without God, we have little hope of escape. So this is precisely the point where we find a lot of people in our world today, isn't it? Sin has so captured them that they don't think they can ever be set free. But when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, he announced his ministry by quoting Isaiah 61.1, and he said, uh, this is really the verse that tells us why he came to earth. The spirit of the sovereign, sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Jesus came to set us free to set free those who have lived in the dark prison of sin. And as we pray for those who are far from God, let's focus our prayers by asking God to break the chains of sin that hold them so that they can trust Christ as their Savior. And then finally, let's pray for a life that is transformed by the gospel. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. See, true conversion leads to a total transformation. When Christ comes into our life, he changes everything. And we should be asking God to work in such a way that people who are without a Savior would be radically transformed from the inside out. When we pray for the lost, remember that we aren't trying to convince God of anything. God doesn't take pleasure in punishing those who are indifferent to him or even those who deny him. He truly desires that everyone come to repentance, everyone be saved. We already know what the will of God is. He wants the lost to be found, so we can pray with confidence, asking God to do whatever is necessary that the people we love and care about might come to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I think God's biggest problem is not with those who are far from God, God knows how to deal with them. I think God's biggest problem is with us, Christ followers, because we don't pray as we should for those who are outside of God's grace and therefore remain in their sin. And we need to be praying and we need to be sharing the gospel because that's God's ordained method to reach those who have yet to walk in obedience with Christ. Could God have provided the means of salvation in some other way? Besides our prayers and sharing our faith, probably. But what matters is that we take God seriously and use the means that he's already created and provided. When we pray and when we share the, God news, the good news, God moves from heaven. And those who seem so hardened to the good news will often begin to have a new attitude and eventually uh, come to Christ. But all of it comes from God so that in the end, God alone gets the glory. It's important for us to talk to God about people before we begin to talk to people about God. Salvation is such a great miracle that unless God does the work in us, none of us would ever be saved. Our intelligence, our giftedness, our status in life means nothing 
unless God grants us eyes to see and ears to hear. And all of us can lead others to Jesus if we pray enough for the lost and to share the good news with them. That's God's plan for how to reach the world. So in closing this morning, let me offer just some practical suggestions on how we apply that truth. First, you've already heard me say it, make a list of people that you know who are far from God and begin to pray for the people on that list daily. Pray daily for God to work in their hearts. Second, gather some friends or a small group around you and pray for others who need Christ. That will help to build your faith and keep you uh, from discouragement if you have others who are praying with you. Third, as God begins to answer your prayers, write down the answers as they come. That will encourage you to keep on praying. Fourth, be ready to be part of the answer to your own prayers. You know, sometimes when we're praying for a family member or a friend or someone to come to Christ, what we really mean is, Lord, send somebody else to talk to my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, my husband, my wife, because, you know, this situation is really messed up or there's, I really find it hard to talk to them. But you know what? God doesn't usually work that way. As you pray for those closest to you, don't be surprised if God puts you in the place to share the good news with them. And then fifth, trust in God's timing. Don't try to rush God. Experience suggests that praying for people who need God takes time, it takes effort, it takes endurance, it takes long-term perspective. Not every person we pray for is gonna come to Jesus immediately. Give God time to work. Don't get discouraged if you don't see quick results. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I do not believe that our prayers have power in and of themselves because God alone can change the heart. But God works through our prayers to do what only God can do, and he allows us to partner with him in this great work of seeing others come to faith. Let me tell you a quick story. It's about a man by the name of George Mueller who lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England. He was a man uh, known for his faith, for his prayer uh, without ever asking for funds of any kind. He lived entirely by faith in God, and he established five orphanages in Bristol uh, that provided care for over 10,000 orphans over a period of about 60 years. His journals record in minute detail how God directly answered thousands of his prayers. Toward the end of his life, he remarked that he had been praying for two men to come to Christ for over 55 years. For over 55 years, he had committed these two men to God and been praying for them regularly. Someone once asked, uh, uh, asked, don't you feel like giving up? Oh, no, he replied. Why would God give me such a burden for these two men if he didn't intend to save them? Before his death, one of those two men came to know Jesus, the other shortly after Mueller died. But his point is well taken. Because God is God and because a true prayer burden comes from God and not from us, we may well believe that if God burdens us to pray for a certain person or a group of people, it's because he intends to work a miracle of saving grace in their life. If you need one more final reason for praying for those who are far from God, let me give it to you. One more. You came to Christ because somebody prayed for you. It might have been a godly mother, a father, a friend who witnessed to you, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, um, a fellow student, a co-worker, but someone cared enough to pray you to Jesus. 
don't, you, don't, don't think that you ever came to Christ all on your own because that doesn't happen. Someone lifted you to God in prayer and God moved from heaven to draw you to the Savior. So if someone prayed for you, isn't it great that we have the opportunity to, to do that for someone else who needs Jesus? Through our prayers and through our witness, we invade Satan's territory. We offer men and women a chance to know Jesus, and through prayer, power is released, and the lost are set free, and faith is given to those who believe. I truly believe that God wants a relationship with every one of us. He has done everything necessary for our salvation. No one needs to be lost from the presence of God. We don't have to die in our sins. Those who trust in Jesus will never be turned away, the Scripture says. But I should add this word. If you do not know Jesus today, let me remind you that God wants a relationship with you. He desires that you repent of your sin, that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I would encourage you to not hesitate. Come to the cross and lay your sins on Jesus, and he will forgive you and he'll set you free. Many times, people who are far from God really don't want to hear what we have to say. We hear things like, don't ever mention Jesus to me again. Sometimes people even throw us out of their homes if we try to talk about faith, but we can still pray for them because they can silence our voice. They just can never stop our prayers. So let's be praying for those who are far from God. Pray and pray and pray and keep on praying. Never give up. And when we finally get to heaven, we're going to discover someday that God used those prayers and those tears in ways we never imagined and we'll rejoice with those who are Today may be far from God, but in heaven will be standing there with us because they will have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So may God give us faith to keep on praying until that day comes. Amen.